Welcome to Season 7 of the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. It's wonderful to know that there are teachers across the globe that are finding our episodes useful. So please take the time to subscribe, share the episodes and leave some feedback. Before we get started, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal speaking people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording. I pay respects to the elders past and present of the Darawal Nation and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people that are listening to this. I hope that you get as much out of our discussion as I did. Please enjoy. Today I have a very special episode for you, an interview with Dr. Phil Cummins. He began his career as a history teacher and cricket coach, and now he is an author, researcher, leader and speaker. Phil is an educator by trade and conviction. He has authored over 30 books and an array of other influential publications and research reports, and is acknowledged internationally as an expert in strategy, governance, leadership and Indigenous education. He is also co-host of the Game Changers podcast with Adriano De Prato, which has received over 250,000 episode listens. I hope that you get as much out of this wide-ranging discussion as I did. Please enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for joining me. Where are you phoning in from? Uh, Matthew, thank you for having me. I am, of course, coming from the People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy on <laughs> Wurundjeri Woiwurrung country, um, where the oak, mil- the oat milk flows in the streets and the silken tofu hangs from the trees. Fantastic. And uh, that's a really lovely segue to what your, what's your coffee order for when I can finally buy your coffee? Um, look, it's, it's about a hundred meters from my place in Fitzroy, um, is a cafe called Piney Weiss and Rose and her crew will make me what's called a triple triple. And so that's three shots of coffee, three sugars, uh, topped up with that silky, silky flat white milk, all in a circle group, carrier, carrier cup, of course. Fantastic. Um, is there an item that's still on your bucket list? Could be personally, professionally. Um, um, I taught Greek ancient history for 20 years and I've never been to Greece. Wow. Um, so so I'm really, I, I, and the problem is, of course, you know, when you really get into something, you, you need the time to do it properly. So I think when I'm an even older man, when, when I've got two or three months, I really won't go to Greece and see everything and yeah. crawl all over every temple and go to every set of ruins on every small island and and uh, and love every second of it. Yeah. Um, that and grandchildren. Can't wait for grandchildren. So James and Harper, if you're listening, get on with it. I am. Um, my, my daughter is called Harper. Um, oh, there you go. 
yeah and so so is this a sort of a friendly uh friendly hint uh to your uh children to get, get to my, yeah to, to my daughter-in-law yes my daughter-in-law harper who married james earlier this year harper is the most delightful human being in the world i'd hate to put any pressure on her whatsoever but you know hey grandchildren that'd be good nice one okay well i think that's a parent's job isn't it to embarrass their kids so yeah i think you've succeeded on that i think so well it's it's revenge for nappies <laughs> look i've got a uh, i've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old um and oh. uh, i take great pride in uh in embarrassing so it's lovely to know that they uh that it continues into adulthood excellent can i just ask phil uh, is there a book that you have read uh could be personally professionally uh that has caused you to uh reconsider a few things in your life there's a fantastic book by mark buchanan um called ubiquity uh that was released i think in 2000 and i'm gonna guess 2003 um uh, maybe a little later than that. Um, and in it, uh, Mark Buchanan, a little bit like Malcolm Gladwell, Tipping Point mm. is another one of mm. those books. Um, and, you know, Tipping Point and Ubiquity are both science books written by journalists for non-scientists. So in Ubiquity, it helps you to understand the way in which um, uh, uh, hard science can be used to understand soft science or social science, so particularly things like um, chaos theory, or in this case, ubiquity theory, yep. helps you to understand the course of history. Um, and in that, help me, you know, having having spent 20 years teaching people causation to discover suddenly that actually you can, when it, when it comes to things that are sitting at a tipping point, you can predict the rate at which events will occur and you can wow. predict um, how many so the quantity might occur within a particular time period, but you can't predict the sequence of them and you can't pinpoint exactly where they'll happen in. And so this applies to things like earthquakes. It applies to things like bushfires. It can apply to things like um, uh, the way in which we understand causation and war. Um, and so, so having, having spent my life teaching people about the importance of trying to construct a narrative, <laughs> then to have that all flipped on its head to say, maybe maybe you need to think again about the way in which we relate um our story to the broader story of what's going on around us that yeah ubiquity and then again tipping point um uh, were both fundamental in helping me to understand that um my own biases yeah. my own um uh, inherent preferences need to be challenged and questioned um just as much as anybody's Wow. Um, and if you know if you know anything about our work of uh, the body of our work in yeah. game changes in the school for tomorrow, that's what we try and challenge people to do yeah. to unrust themselves, Amazing. to get the WD forty out, apply it to those rusty little gears and levers, yeah. and to think again about our understanding of what it is that can and should be done to help take you know, what we call the big step forward and up. Yeah, amazing. And and on that sort of thread, uh, Phil, what's something that you have uh changed your mind about um it could be recently or it could be um uh, uh a longer period ago but but what's something which you have um had to apply some of that wd-40 in your own life yeah i look um i, I want to come to something uh from this year because why not this year why not? i think my under I, I 
I've always been the sort of person, you know, if you're going to get something done, you go out and get it done yourself and you look to within your own resources and you, you work hard and you try and make things happen the way that they should happen. I've formed a theory, well, I've, I've formed a view this year that we've actually reached a tipping point in our profession, that the structures around which the everyday role of a chalky, of a teacher, um, have been constructed are no longer doable. So whereas I used to think that we could work smarter and that we could find ways, particularly through collaboration and technology to make things happen, I actually think now that the demands that we place on the profession and the requirements we have um, uh, uh, for, for, for the way in which mm. we educate students to honour what we would call the new social contract of education, which is today's learning tomorrow as well, I don't think it's doable anymore. So I think, uh, as, I've, as I've advised several schools in our consulting practice, uh, thinking about their strategic development, we should be thinking most of all about how to apply the resources that we've got to reconstruct the role of a teacher so that they can actually do what it is they do. Because you know, Matt, Matt you, you know more about this than I do. You're at the chalk face every day. You're sitting here doing this on your holidays while, you know, you, you know, in between times, you're trying to make it work. I don't think it's doable anymore. I don't think that we can ask people to do um, all of the things that we want them to do um, to achieve the standard we want. We've got good people, mm. by and large, in the profession who are just exhausted yeah. now. Um, and that's because they're trying to do the right thing. You know, they're, they're trying to make things happen. You know, I know yeah. we've had a federal education minister recently talk about duds in education. I, I can say with confidence that the duds that were around when I started teaching back in the 1980s, or was it perhaps the 1880s, they're not in the profession anymore. And they haven't been for a very, very long time. We've got good, honest, earnest folk who are trying to make things happen. Um, and they just can't, they can't get everything done. They can't get the basics done without pushing themselves beyond that which is reasonable. So I think as a profession, I think as a society, we need to think the, the we need to think and rethink the role of the teacher, um, and we need to work out what will make it doable. I have a feeling that the only way that we're going to do it in the end is fewer face-to-face -face hours in the classroom. But then I don't think that's a bad thing either. I mean, you know, you've spoken, you, you know, you, you know, you know, Pazzi Solberg and his theories on on play and so on. He's a, you know, it's what wh why why do we why do we give um, children so much work to do when they're in school, uh, you know, I don't think it's healthy. Look, I mean, this is, I mean, that's a whole podcast just in itself, but, but where do we, like, where do we even begin uh, to unpack this and unravel this? Because um, just a bit of a context, my, my little one's about to start school. Uh, we enrolled her in a wonderful uh, local uh, public school um, for kindergarten in 2023. And, it's really got me thinking about this. It's got me thinking about sustainability and it's got me thinking about um, the importance of uh, retaining great teachers within classrooms. And I don't even know where to start with this. I mean, I'm incredibly passionate about what we get to do as educators. Um, it's something which I, um, I'm sort of spoilt now, like I have to do it because I love it so much, but I, I don't know where we even start to, to unravel some of the challenges that we've had, that we've got. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because it almost seems too overwhelming to know to know where to even begin. Um, well, it's. It, I think it reminds me of the, the, one of my favourite jokes. Um, uh, uh, my parents used to tell me one of the only jokes I can remember my parents <laughs> telling me. They weren't great on jokes; they were great on values and and things like that. But you know, how do you eat an elephant? 
one part at a time. Which part do you eat? The bit that's in front of you. And I think for us as a profession to find the answers mm. um, to the log to the log jam that we've got um, at the moment, where we've got all the intent in the world, we've got the resources to do it, except the time and the energy so the the, the human capital that we need mm. although i'm not sure that human capital is a is a term i want to use um or, or align myself too much i prefer the term social capital more than anything else um or character capital um you know if you go back and look at our research mm. um you know particularly you know that's what we talk about the character capital that we've got for us um to do that we have to unwind assumptions you know, as and as alluded to earlier, the first assumption I would start with is why do we need children to be in school um, for seven hours a day? Why do we need that to happen? Yeah, you know, because there's no there's no educational reason for it. Mm. You know, if you look at, at, around the world, this assumption that we've got that kids spending more time during the day um, at their at their schoolwork will lead to better performance by students in examination tasks, which is really, you know, if, if, if we're honest, that's that's the only measure that we've got any agreement on so mm. far, even though that's the wrong measure for yeah. us to be re relying on. Um, but, you know, wh why wh why do we need children in school um, for that period of time? Uh, why, do, why do we need children at school five days a week? Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, the and the answer is that if, that, that, school has to fulfill a number of different social functions one of which is child mining so we need something to do with children while parents are working and so what we do is we occupy as much time as possible um, uh, of their time as possible at school so you know while, while parents are working so how do we make how do we make that work yeah um, um you know so it's, I, I, yeah sorry i don't mean to cut you off but especially in cities like sydney and melbourne where one wage just isn't enough. Uh, we, we can't pay oh. off a mortgage uh, in with, especially with one teacher's wage. So unfortunately, we are sort of forced to have two income yeah. earners. Um, and yeah, tell me, tell me, tell me about it. You know, I, I'm I'm in my fifties. I've still got a mortgage. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, it's I'm not married anymore. But when I was, and we were, when we were raising three children through it, um, you know, it's it's. Trying, try, trying to make a living, trying mm. to live in a city, trying to make things work in the way they do. I mean, you know, I'd, there's, there, there was, uh, you know, the schools have been, schools have been grappling with the reality. Uh, and I saw an article about it today, which is interesting, making the press for the first time around it. But where do teachers live? You know, because you've got to be able to afford a house and you want teachers to be in the community in which they're teaching. Well, the simple reality is that here in Melbourne, if you're a young family and you're just starting out and you've got young children and you're teaching, well, there's no way you're living in inner city Melbourne. You know, if you no, want, if you want the sort of a backyard and three bedrooms, it's just not going to happen. Like, it, it, exactly. It, it, that's, that's simply not going to, that's simply not going to happen um, around that. So it's, it's, and, you know, do we want teachers? Do we want children? Do we want anybody commuting for an hour to an hour and a half either end of the day. One thing that I've noticed that since we took um, the circle group uh, online, so in, in 2015, we made the decision to transfer everything that we do um, to remote working. Um, 
out the, the people who work with us there's three hours a day they don't spend in traffic yeah now you know there are upsides and downsides so you know there's some interesting things that we have to do around time zones because we've got different people working with us all around the world so you know trying to find times where we're all up and so on and so on there are, there are always compromises to be made mm. but you know i don't i don't miss commuting i don't miss commuting at all you know there's you know i used to live when i'm when, I, when I, i'm a sydney side as you probably know i'm passionate waratah supporter um uh and you know i love the new south wales blues cricket team and always have but um you know i i I had my house was in strathfield um my office was in crow's nest 11 kilometers and that never took under an hour getting home of an Mm. evening you'd sit there and go what's the point of that yeah Yeah, look i mean there's so much in that isn't there phil like i i feel so fortunate because i um I mean, I love change. I mean, I've been criticised for many things in my career, and one of them is being annoyingly optimistic. And so I will, um, I will, I will take that. Um, but I never, in a million years, thought that our profession would be one that went online, and 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 yet it did. Uh, one day we were in schools, uh, and then the other day we were awkwardly trying to navigate and uh, control a classroom uh, on on Zoom and Microsoft Teams. And so. Um, it raises some really interesting questions about what the role of schools is or what the role of schools are um, and also the, the role of teachers. I mean, I I uh, miss being able to be at home with my kids and teaching my class. I don't know how efficient I was as a teacher, but um, we were back at school pretty quickly. I mean, now I know a lot of industries are having conversations about how do we get back into the office? How do we do this? How do we do that? We were told you're back in the office from Monday. And so we didn't have any yeah, exactly. Um, and Exactly. So- yeah, it's a, it's a really, really interesting um, interesting time. And there's nothing like a crisis, I think, to cause us to question everything. And so for that, I'm, um, I, for that, I'm incredibly grateful for. Absolutely. Yeah. And look, you, you know, it's one, one, of the, one of the people who inspires me a lot is uh, the Australian um, uh, soldier and, and engineer and statesman, Sir John Monash. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, it's, the, the first part of his career was about inventing inventing sewage systems that could change Melbourne. Um, when you when you when you when you understand that the fundamentals of people's lives, that the role of leadership, the role of administration, is actually to build the infrastructure that can allow people to live a life that's well lived and worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, wow. You know what I mean? It's like you you you. you so most most people would celebrate Monash for his remarkable. Uh, capacity as a soldier for being vice chancellor of Melbourne University, various different other leadership roles later in his life. You know, he's the guy who built the sewage systems that meant that the inner city, mm. the, the inner city, no longer flooded with sewage every time the water table came up. You know, it's it's you know we we've we've got we've got to remember that to allow teachers to do what they do best, which is to build the character and competency and wellness of students so that they can thrive in the world today. We need to provide schools that are genuine communities of inquiry and practice. If we have teachers who are so stressed all the time that they're in flight or fright or fight mode, then they can't be the best versions of themselves. And if we teach who we are, and we're always presenting the worst version of ourselves to the kids, if we're always anxious, we're always stressed, Mm -hmm. we're always feeling as though that we, we don't have the time to stop and think creatively, and no wonder our kids will tell us that our classrooms are not necessarily creative places, that our teachers are always stressed yeah. and that we feel like it's a never-ending hamster wheel of, you know, one bloody examination after another. 
at some point we have to stop this and we have to say there is a better way. We need to connect with the purpose we have as educators yeah. uh, and then form practice on the basis of that. And as leaders in education, we need to create the conditions in which teachers and kids can grow through their learning together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to change direction uh, slightly, Phil, what are you uh, most grateful for from your parents? You talked about values and also infrequent jokes, um, but is there anything else that you are grateful for to your parents or your upbringing? Um, I think this. I think my answer to this sort of question changes every time it gets asked. Um, yeah. Uh, because you know, certainly the older that you get, the more you sort of reflect. Yeah. On absolutely. who you are and how you got to where you got to. Uh, you know, the job of the job of younger people is to separate themselves from their parents. The job of older people is to bring families together and to recognise and try and do what you can to cultivate the storylines. I think the first thing I'm very grateful for with my parents um uh is the way in which they taught me to value education itself um you know that 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 you know it's a commonplace now in society that education is probably the answer to most of the challenges that we've got i don't know that it always is for example i mean i think you know it's uh you know it's it if you look at if you look at uh rates of teenage smoking Education can get us so only so far, mm. um, but just because we educate kids about tobacco and nicotine doesn't stop a whole lot of kids from going out and vaping and doing the things that they do. So I, I, I think I, I think that it's a bit Pollyanna-ish to say that education solves everything, but education is probably the most powerful solution we've got to a lot of the challenges we've got in society. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing I'm grateful for my parents for is they taught me how to work bloody hard. And yeah. and um, I think, you know, for, for me, I think that's been a, a bedrock of the way in which I've been able to try and build my own approach to doing the things that I mm. need to do. Um, I don't pretend that I get everything right. Um, but at least I'm not going to die wondering whether or not I gave it a go. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, there, 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 there are plenty of other things I think right. I could be grateful for my parents um, about, but I, I yeah. probably, oh, I'll give great. you a third one. I'll give you a third one because it's always good to go in rule of threes. <laughs> I think my parents gave me a really good sense of story mm. and of the importance of story, uh, you know, it's, um, and uh, that's informed everything in my life. Really, uh, the, the the need to find and tell a story. Yeah, wow, that's really powerful. And Phil, just wondering, um, what what were you like at school? And did you have a teacher that um, that made a difference in your life? It could be a positive difference or a or a negative one, unfortunately. Um, uh, at school, um, I was the brightest kid at a school full of very very bright kids. Okay. Um, and I loved learning um, and it was an absolute joy until I was around about 10. And then the, then the, the, you know, the more competitive, um, aggressive side of humanity became clearer. Um, I was bullied pretty, Gosh. pretty severely for about three, four years. So badly I changed schools. I went to a new school. Um, and even though, even though what happened at that school, you know, some of the teachers were great. Some of them weren't, um, there was bullying there because it was the 1980s and, you know, that sort of thing happened more frequently in schools in those days. I just absolutely flourished in that environment. Um, 
Wow. Uh, there are lots of te- there are lots of teachers who made a real difference in my life. Um, most of them taught history, um, which. Um, but I, well, the one I want to give a real shout out to David Thomas, um, who's still teaching now wow. in his seventies. Uh, he's just stepping down as a housemaster uh, at the at the school I went to, the second school I went to in high school, Cranbrook School, yeah. in uh, in Bellevue Hill, in uh, in Sydney, um, and he's. And he's he's remarkable. He's a remarkable person. He has been teaching uh, for over fifty years. Still has a twinkle in his eye, um, you know. Um, and and I'll be having dinner with him later this week. He inspires me every time I see him. He's now a friend and a colleague. We've written books together. Um, uh, uh, there's yes. so much of who who I am as yeah. a teacher and as an historian is formed by him. It's amazing, and even to see as a, a as a man in his fifties, it's great to see your eyes light up when you talk about your teacher. And it's a really beautiful reminder of the power um, that teachers have uh, to to really shape the lives of young people. I know I had a a teacher that I had the privilege of interviewing on my podcast. Uh, it was Mrs. Taylor Jones in this little country town in the middle of the United Kingdom, uh, in uh, in a place called Belper, the kind of place that you would drive past, you would never stop at. And I remember um, my parents separated at the time. And so I remember walking into her class. I had no idea what she taught me um, for that year, but I knew exactly how she made me feel. And I'm sure she did that to the 35 other kids in that class. Um, but I had the privilege of having her on the podcast. And I was, I was actually quite emotional. Um, I went back. Good. And, I went, I, it was, I, I went back and uh, we did a family trip a number of years ago and went back and saw her and I, just gave her a hug and that my wife turned around and said to me afterwards yeah that that wasn't cool you just uh, hugged your teacher and mate I said yeah but that's the the power of what great educators do um and it's lovely to hear that you've got a relationship with your teacher um absolutely just wondering uh Phil I mean you seem like you got a lot on your plate I mean you've got a school for tomorrow you've you obviously uh done your doctorate you're researching it seems like you're speaking um at every conference that's coming up um how on earth do you find the time to uh, to do a podcast, and why is that something which is so meaningful to you? Um, yeah, uh, well, I I, yeah, I do stuff. I, I do stuff because I do stuff. That's the best yeah. way to put it. It's it, it's it's who I am. I've, yeah, wow. I've always I've always I've always I've always liked to be fully engaged, uh, and I'd hate to finish my time and and to have left undone things that should should have been attended to. Um, it's that hard uh, work kind of mentality you're talking about. From yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so. But also, it's it's fun. It's it's you've got to be creative. You've got to mix things up. You know, it's I the last thing in the world I thought I'd ever end up as a as a, as a professor at a university. You know, I didn't have the best time. Didn't have the best time at university. But going back, wow, um, now and doing that as part of what I do Amazing. has enabled me us to do so much interesting stuff in the field of research in uh and, and so on and so on po- look podcasting so um i was doing uh, uh i was uh speaking at a conference in 2017 um there's this de character um with you know, <laughs> the big shock of silver hair and adriano and i didn't know each other very well at that point in time but we've been circling around each other at, at conferences all over the place and he's a really it's just he's just a, we've got a really interesting he's um, quite take a character. I, he's better than yeah. any triple shot cup of coffee like he i had him on a little while ago and yeah 
I don't think he blinked yeah. once. He's amazing. I don't know how. No, he did. no. <laughs> Look, he's 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 just tremendous. Don't tell him like I was paying him too many compliments, but um, <laughs> uh, but he's 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 just tremendous. Anyway, so I would hang around an airport. Um, said let's let's go to the you know the Virgin um the Virgin Club and and have a coffee or a drink. And of course, he had a prosecco, and uh, I might have had a, <laughs> a, a glass of red. And we began talking. I just got to do something together like it's okay. um anyway we conceived of a project um a leadership development program that we started to put in place at the final school he worked at in marshland college in Berlin. um uh uh he finished up there at the end of 2019 he was having every intention of doing a sabbatical year uh and i just kept ringing him and nagging him because once i knew that he was free i thought oh, we've we've i've got to get him in to do some stuff with us um you know we, we we're in our third if you like iteration of the circle group yeah um, at that point in time you know we were thinking about you know we sort of built out this knowledge architecture of what it looks like to be an excellent school based on research and yeah. consulting so theory and practice in schools all over the world what are we going to do with this thing and but i just thought you know what i'm sick and tired of writing every week i'm sick and tired of speaking at people in conferences, um, what would it be like to do a, um, a podcast? Anyway, eventually nagged him, dragged him out of his seclusion. We had a, we had a drink about 100 metres uh, from where I'm sitting right now at, a, at, uh, at Napier Quarter um, and uh, 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 said, let's do a podcast. And he said, only if we can hear other people. And I said, well, that's the point. Talking to and hearing other people, um, and we recorded our first one. I think later that week, wow. um, and we we set out the provocation. We went on from there. We've been very intent about being low tech about what we do. There is no mm -hmm. bells and whistles. Um, we're more interested in the conversation because, at the end of the day, chalkies do stuff because they can see other people doing it. Most chalkies don't design from first principle they iterate from a given model mm. so where are the role models around about the place um we just had a ball we you know we just we're just in the process of recording our 12 series um around it we've got a book from heart hooker brown Law education game changes leading today's learning for tomorrow's world which is coming out of that and that's again based on both our theory and practice Amazing. and also the game changes podcast man it's just fun isn't it like this is so, way more fun than delivering a lecture. Right, and you reach a lot you reach a lot more people and it's real. Like you're yeah. talking to real people. Like, you well, know, you know I, your stuff. You're in a classroom every day. I can yeah. I can get a lot I can get a lot more um, yeah. from conversation by podcasting than I can from any book. Even the books that we've written. You know, there's a fantastic publication that's just been put out by um, the Jubilee Centre at the University of Birmingham, and, and they, they're probably the leading researcher um, uh, institute into character education. Now, I don't necessarily agree with their, a lot of their precept, which is around taking the Aristotelian virtues and using them as the starting point. I tend to like building an image of character from the ground up in a community rather than imposing model on it. That having been said, they're doing brilliant work. There's lots of research. They just put out a, um, a book on character education um, there's a conference that we hosted with uh, the Scots College and the University of Notre Dame and yep. the Relationships Foundation earlier this year. Uh, Dr. Hugh Chilton, who's um, uh, one of my close colleagues um, at the Scots College, had this fantastic book summarising pretty much 10 years worth of their research. 
And we realized that out of the four of us, none of us had ever read any of that research. Wow. Now, we're the guys working with people around the world to do the character education stuff. Even we don't have access to the gap between the theory and the practice. There's a severe wow. knowledge doing gap. Um, it, it applies right throughout business in general and businesses in general but particularly in education Amazing. and i think part of it part of it is because of the mode of delivery that traditional university mode which is about the cultivation and preservation of knowledge acts as a wall that people who are at the chalk face i mean i i bet you I, if i said to you how big is the pile of reading that you've set yourself you know it's it's you know it's up to the ceiling isn't it we don't have time to do the reading we need ways to do it and podcasting seems to be a great way i, I listen to podcasts every day uh, I, I, tend, I tend to wake up early i've got two to three hours in the morning before i get up and do things um i listen to podcasts and i learn so much more from listening to conversations between people than i than i do mm -hmm. um, trying to sit down and read a book if i sit down and try and read an academic book I just end up going back to sleep. Well, do you know what? The, 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 sorry, one of the reasons why I, I started the podcast was after um, I started The Art of Teaching uh, was after listening to Game Changers podcast. And I thought, wow, like it's such a really interesting medium. And we talked about this before we hit record, hit record but um, it's a really nice way in my point of view to be able to get the latest ideas from academics and experts such as yourself into the, into the classroom because there does seem to be that gap between research and practice. And so I love that there are people all over the world now that will get to listen to this conversation and this discussion um, and that that will impact the teaching and learning that's happening in their classrooms. And also that would impact the students who are, um, who are in the classrooms. And so it's a, it's a wonderful medium. I still can't stand the, the sound of my own voice when I, I don't listen to them back. <laughs> Terrifying. I don't know. Do you, do you feel like that as well? Or are you sort of, uh, do you sort of put it out there and hope for the best or what's your process with that? Oh, look. So, so the first thing I'd say is, and I'm really glad that you're doing your podcast, um, The Art of Teaching, because that way you might actually get it right. Because the Prada on high, geez, we're, we're, we still get it wrong all the time. But um, uh, I, look, um, I, I really struggle with listening to the sound of my own voice. I force myself to do it. Um, Adriano is, is, is assiduous around sort of listening to everything that we do and making sure it's this and that and the other and so on and so on. Um, well, I'm, I'm less assiduous about it. I will listen to everything that we do eventually. Yeah. Um, uh, I tend to read the transcripts more than go and listen to yeah. what I have said, you know. Every now and then, though, there's a guest. I mean, it's... it's uh, you know, who, who, who will compel me because of who they are. Mm. Um, you know, it's, listen, you know, Brian, I had the opportunity to talk with Bryony Scott um, in a special series and she's just remarkable. So, I, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I listen to it in the shower and, and, and then, you know, while I'm, while I'm sort of doing the housework on a Saturday morning or something like that, I try not to listen to myself and I try and focus on the guest. Yeah, nice one. I, uh, I well, I think you guys are the work that you're doing is is hugely inspiring, and um, I'm just interested, Phil. Um, tell me about a school for tomorrow. Uh, why I can see in your your background, you have the wonderful logo there, but but why do we need to 
have these discussions? And it may sound like an obvious question, but uh, why is it a project that you uh, care so deeply about? Sure. Um, let me tell you a little bit about the history of sure. this. So I started teaching in 1988 part-time uh, while I was still studying, uh, which I know would horrify some people, but, you know, Western civilization didn't collapse because I was a trainee teacher doing some teaching and sort of eventually got into it full-time. That was my first year out. in kindergarten. Uh, sorry to That's uh, it. yeah, sorry to bring yeah, that up. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. Um, I have to say, my, 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 I mentioned David Thomas. I should mention Helen Carmody as well, too. She was a kindergarten teacher at my school who taught me an, an awful lot about teaching because if you can teach kindergarten, you can tell a story to the kinder kids, you can make anything work I, in a school. You know? I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. There it is. So after about 20 years, so after 2008, and I, I, I was running a school and um, um, I fell out of love with it. Um, and it's all I'd ever wanted to do. and. I suddenly knew that I didn't want to do this thing anymore. Um, uh, what I did know is that I wanted to work with more than just one school, but with schools all over the place. So I had an opportunity to spend uh, a year, a year and a half um, working uh, for Dr. Ian Lambert at Scots College in Sydney as his executive officer. And while I was doing that, formulated the idea for um, a McKinsey's in education in other words a research-based yeah. organization that helped build better outcomes for more learners and i acquired a company called creative school management that had been around for 25 years at that point i was the third owner of it um but i didn't want to do it simply on the basis of the phil cummins i reckon school i wanted to build up a knowledge archive a knowledge architecture around building solutions that that you could take from one place to another and it wasn't just based on my opinion so we built out, formed a team and built, built out Circle, which is the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education, which, of course, spells Circle, which is the sort of thing you come up with as a teacher when you're bored on a Thursday afternoon in an executive <laughs> meeting. You, you come up with a silly anagram, don't you? Anyway, so for about um, for, for, for 10 years or so, we had that in play, uh, did major research projects around the world, formed a view that there was an intersection between an education for character and the character of an excellent education. But at schools, we went to all around the world. And it's about schools for me. It's, we, we, we work from chalk face to chalk face to chalk face. Uh, I, I admire and respect the work that people like um, Tony Mackay uh, and others do at a sort of a global policy level. But for me... You know, if, if I want to influence outcomes for, for your kids in your school, I'll come and work with your school, you yeah. know. So we, we sort of went from school to school to school. We built up this um, knowledge architecture. We sort of worked out what it means to do an education for character and, and the character of an excellent education. These sort of six corridors of culture and leadership and learning and performance strategy and systems and operations that yeah. you can use to look at any school, the right questions to ask around it. But then... We're sitting there going, oh, it's time now that we have a, a front face of this that provides the output of all of our learning in a series of tools that people can use. And I can remember a conversation with um, Adriano and uh, Oliver, uh, my son Oliver, who um, has been our producer and is now working with uh, uh, in, in our organisation, helping to do our next major project, which is Voyage, which is a, a digital platform for uh, 
global students everywhere to find all the things that they need in one place. Um, we, we, we sort of said that what we're really interested in is helping build a school for tomorrow, that inherently schools that are caught in a story about yesterday or a story about today miss the point that the story is a story of yesterday and today and tomorrow. We need to honour the past. We need to attend to the present, but we need to be moving towards the future. Um, and that that future, as we've worked out since, it needs to be human-centred, it needs to be um, people and place and planet conscious. It needs to be technologically enriched and it needs to be intentionally purposeful about what it does. Mm -hmm. And that purpose has to be linked to helping students to thrive in their world. Mm -hmm. There's stuff in there about adaptive expertise and self-efficacy, which are sort of two vehicles about moving towards the future That's uh, uh, that, that sort of sit within there. There's graduate outcomes um, that we, we, when we talk with people all over the world, they tell us what they, who they want their students to, their, their children to be and to become. They want them to be good people. They want them to be future builders. They want them to be continuous learners and unlearners. They want them to be solution architects, to be responsible citizens, and they want them to be team creators. So how do you build a set of tools around all of this and provide them to people as best you can? That's what the School for Tomorrow is. Wow. It's a global network that works with students and teachers and leaders and school teams to help them uh, to, to, to think about what it takes to thrive and how to take that big step forward and up together. Wow. There's there's so much in that, Phil, and I think something which has come up throughout our interview, it seems to be a bit of a thread, is that notion of story. I mean, you talked about um, with your parents, that's one of the things that you're grateful for, to be able to tell a great story. I, I'm thinking of sort of the narrative of history, kind of like where we've come from, how do we honour the past, how do we plan and prepare for the future, and it seems to be something which is um, absolutely central to uh, a school for tomorrow. Um, is, is that the case? Is that something which, why is that so important um, to you guys? Well, it's, I think it's not because it's important to us. I think it's because it's the, it's the fundamental way that human beings make sense of the world yeah. and, of, and, of, and of the universe around them is that they tell stories. Yeah. Um, uh, and if you can't tell, you know, if you can't tell a good story, um, how, how, how are you going to help um, somebody connect with their own sense of humanity, their own, their, their own inner drive, and then how are you going to help them wrestle yeah. with everything around them? You know, it's, it's every, every um, uh, tradition, every community, every society has stories. We tell, as human beings, we tell stories to each other, mm. um, uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's buried deep within our DNA. If you want to turn kids on in a classroom, tell them a story. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you know that. You know that. You know, if you want to turn kids off, um, take the story out of it. Yeah. You know. And, it, it, yeah, look, I, I think that's, that's so important. Like, I, I love the, the process of going on a journey with a story. Um, I love the the story arc I love the purpose within the story and it's um yeah it's it's, it's really interesting to uh to hear how um how you guys do that with a school for tomorrow and also why that's um so central and uh, Phil I'm just wondering what does um it's a terrible word to use when talking about education but what does success look like with a school for tomorrow uh what are some of the ways that you know that you've been making a, a difference 
Oh, look, I'd, I'd, I'll take exception there. I think success is a really, really important term to define because because it's it's the Matthew P principle, isn't it? To those who have more will be given and to mm, those who don't, true. you know. That's, uh, um, I said earlier that I think that story is hardwired into our DNA, DNA, so is success. We need to feel successful. We need to feel as though um, we're getting somewhere. Um, we need to balance out an understanding of success by saying that there has to be a foundation of well-being that sits under everything, a foundation of wellness, probably more than just well-being, because well-being is part of wellness. You know, it's about feeling well, but you also have to actually be well at the same mm -hmm. time. So there's got to be a foundation of wellness. There's got to be a foundation of character, and character is how we live our lives. Um, it's about belonging. So so it's, it's about the civic character of belonging. It's about the performance character of fulfilling your potential. It's about the moral character of doing what's good and right. You need all three of those, but there's a sequence to them. You know, you have, if you feel as though you belong, you're more likely to achieve your potential. If you feel as though you belong and achieve your potential, then you're more likely to do good and right in the yeah. world. Now, that's, that's three very different types of success. Yeah. And they're measured in three very different types of ways. And the agency in all three of them um, differs as well too. So with belonging, you can't determine that you belong in an organisation or a community. The community has to vote you into the tribe. Yeah. And there's usually a threshold test that they apply in relation to that. Once you are in to a group and you feel as though you belong, mm. then to achieve your potential, um, that's more about, much more about a continuum. And the agency within that sits with you and your teachers or your coaches. And we would call that character apprenticeship. That's what David Thomas taught me. has been teaching me all my life. He teaches through who he is. He models his scaffold to coaches. And gradually over time, as I get expertise, I get more agency and he steps out of the scene and allows me to go on and yeah. do that in its own right. The third piece, which is about the moral character piece, I have complete agency over that. I form a moral code about what I think is good and right in the world. And although you can suggest to me um, whether or not I'm, I'm aiming up enough, all you can really do is hold up a mirror to me and say, look, this is what you said you do. Have you actually done that in and around it? It's very cheeky of you to tell me that, that, that I'm doing something wrong but it's far more helpful to sit around and say, well, you said this is what you were going to do. Are you actually doing that? Is yeah. there a congruity to it? Is there an integrity to it? So I think those, and that's about the drive towards yourself. I think the second measure of success, yeah, wow. I mentioned those graduate outcomes earlier. That's about social expectations. I think there is a third measure, and it's, it's simply a reality. Um, I grumble about exams, but exams are the system that we have that allows entry into the next level. Um, so things like exams, like results matter. Like, you know, as I told you earlier, you know, I'm, I'm a mad keen Waratah supporter. There's always a scoreboard in life. And when the Waratahs win on the weekend, I feel happier. Don't you? I do. You know? I do. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, so, and, and, you know, don't tell me that being in a team and losing feels good because it doesn't feel good. It just makes me want to win more, you mm -hmm. know. So I think I, I, I think there's a balancing act between all of those sorts of things in and around that. What I want to see is I want to see more kids who, and, and, and the families who feel as though they belong 
are achieving their potential and are doing good and right in the world. There are a variety of different measures that we can use to do that, some of which are external to a community, others of which are internal to a community, some of which um, uh, you measure yourself. We've got a, an app called Voyage. Um, you can get it on you know, the Apple, the, the, the Apple um, Store um, and, and the Android Store, where you can measure yourself in terms of your own character development and set your own measures up in relation to that. But at the, at the end of the day, you can't just measure yourself you can't, you know, others will measure you. I, mm. I worry about schools which take competition out and just focus on cooperation because it's a little bit like, you know, it's a, it's a little bit like having salt without pepper. You know, cooperation and competition are natural and normal states of human being. Yeah, It's, it's part of who we are. It's when we get them out of balance with each other that things go... Um, things go wrong i remember a story mum told me about when we were kids uh my brother and i and um you know she tried to keep all the guns out of the house because it was the 1970s and you know it was all peace love among beings and stop the war and stop the bomb and all of that sort of stuff was going on and so there were no little plastic guns for us to play cowboys and Indians with so when we were out in the backyard we'd just grab sticks and pretend those were guns and paddle pop sticks and things like that and in the end mum just gave up because she said look it's in the nature around that it's better to teach people how to utilise best the gifts and talents that they've got rather than to punish them for being who they are or deny them an essential part of, of, of their humanity. Mm. I don't know. That's, a, that's another very long rambling answer. Yeah, no, I think there's there's so much uh, in there, Phil, and I think so many of your answers that sort of warrant a whole podcast series in themselves. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be that'd be terrible. You're way more interesting people to talk to. No, look, it, it, it's it's really interesting, and and I, I obviously want to be respectful of your time. So just a couple of closing questions. Um, let's just imagine uh, we're sitting down having a coffee, and I'm about to step into the classroom. Um, for the first time. I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I've got my teaching number and I'm ready to go. Uh, what would that conversation be like and, and what advice uh, would you give me as I'm about to embark on this journey? Uh, relationships and values are more important than anything else. Yeah. Anything else that you will do in education. That would be the starting point. Yeah. Um, secondly, uh, you will make lots of mistakes um thirdly don't take yourself seriously um and learn how to laugh at yourself particularly in front of kids um i think most of the time when teachers get things wrong with what we be called behavior management uh and don't even get me started about appointing a chief behavior officer um but what we get wrong most about classroom management is when we take ourselves too seriously and we get proud yeah and we we get we get pinged for something that we've done a lot wrong instead of just laughing it off. Yeah. But you know, it's a, it's a whole lot easier for me to walk into any educational space now, whether I'm working with kids or with adults, you know, I've got 30 odd years sitting behind me um, of laughing at myself and, 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 you know, my memories are never about of, of teaching and never about the things that I've done. Well, I always remember the things I, I, I messed up. Mm. Um, I always just... remember the things that I got wrong and those are the things that play inside all the time saying, don't stuff it up. Don't get this wrong again. You know, learn from your mistakes. Um, so mm -hmm. I think, I think I'd start around that. I think the conversation would then get onto a conversation about mastering your content. Like, and I know this is terribly old fashioned stuff, but 
if you don't, if you're a history teacher and you don't know the history that you're supposed to be teaching, no one's going to respect. No one's going to respect you. Yeah. All right. So you've got to, you've got, you've got to know um, your stuff, um, and then delight in, delight in when the kids know it better than you. Mm. You know. Yeah. That's, um, that's and then, and, and then the final thing: um, have a plan for everything you do. But uh, the first casualty of war is the plan. So be prepared to throw it out the window when you need to, especially yeah. when it's a hot, windy Thursday afternoon in December in Sydney and the humidity is about 150%. And Phil, would that be similar advice if I was uh, sitting down having a coffee with you as a uh, someone who is about to become a school principal or a school leader? Is there anything else you would add to that? Um, yeah, I think the thing that I would add to that is that the expertise that you gain as a leader um, grows um, exponentially in terms of both accomplishment and challenge as you get older and you get more experienced in the role. So the things that you are challenging and complex in your first five years, they should be your bread and butter after five years. And then you go on to take on more complex and challenging things after that. So the idea that there's this sort of fixed body of stuff you do and somehow it will get easier is just a nonsense. If that's your attitude, you shouldn't be doing it because you need to keep growing all the time. Second thing I would say to a principal is never stop teaching. Even if you only teach one lesson a week, even if your classroom is an assembly hall, never stop teaching i've never stopped teaching no matter what it is that i do i always do a little bit of teaching um because it's the great leveler isn't it it's you can get carried away with the wonderfulness of being yourself um the third thing is that if there is such a thing as legacy it's the lives of other people you know if you if you're lucky they'll you know if you're if you're lucky they'll name a classroom block after you if you're unlucky they'll name a toilet block after you but at the end of the day all buildings will get knocked down. The only thing that matters is the impact you have on the lives of other people and whether or not you can say in all honesty that you had a better impact on more lives than a worse impact. That's all that really matters. Fantastic. And uh, Phil, we talked a lot about story. It's kind of, as I mentioned, been sort of woven in and out of our discussion today. Um, what do you want, looking back at the end of your uh, career uh, in education, um, what do you want your story to have been? Uh, what sort of impact do you want to have had on other people? Oh, I'm going to duck that one and say that's up to other people to determine. I've, I've got I've got more years to come and more things Fantastic. that I want us to be able to do. Um, uh, I don't know. You'll probably be around when 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 I'm gone, so you can you can you you and the other people can work it out for yourselves at that point. Um, uh, I'm 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 more interested in Sorry. how it is that we can help more. Yeah, yeah well, I'm just more interested in how we can help people find their sense of purpose and align their practice with it. You know, that's that's really what I want to be able to do more and more and more and more and more. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Fantastic. I, I don't think that's a that's a dodge at all. I think that really encapsulates so much of our discussion, which is actually about service to other people and. And making a difference and making an impact in the lives of others. So I think that is a uh, that's a wonderful answer. And uh, Phil, finally, um, where can we find out more about you?
a school for tomorrow.com is the best place to find us. Um, of course, the Game Changers podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, it's SoundCloud. It's my second favourite podcast. It's great. Yeah, there, it's we awesome. there we go. There we go. Yeah, they're, they're probably good places to find right. on our stuff. If you're, a, if you're an Instagram person, you can go and read my poems on there um, and then, you know, throw fruit at me. Amazing. Well, uh, I'll make sure I put all of the resources that we've talked about, um, all of the, uh, the links to the work that uh, you're doing and also some of the books that we've mentioned uh, in the show notes. But Phil, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's a huge privilege to speak to you. Thank you so much. Uh, Matthew, uh, thank you. God bless you for the work you're doing as well too. It's so, so, so important that we have this network of the curious and the willing and the motivated who are ready to take that big step up and forward together. Your work is inspiring and uh And I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you very much. Amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we can continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.